Family, I hope you had an absolutely fantastic week. If you didn't, I'm sorry, because I had, I had a great one. I got to be honest with you. It started on, uh, well, first of all, I, I finished this sermon at about 11.15 on Monday night. And by the end of it, I was pretty jazzed about it. So I went in and basically half preached it to my wife. And as she woke up, uh, she reminded me that she'll be attending church this weekend and doesn't need to hear it on a, on a Monday evening. And then today we got into a bit of a tiff because I wanted to wear this pink shirt. I'm going to be up front and honest with you. I like a good pink shirt on me. And I had, I had picked out uh, like some, some blue, I don't know what they're called. Um, and Jennifer says, nope, it's not Easter, it's Thanksgiving. And I said, fair enough. So I'm rocking the blue jeans, and that's where I'm at now right now. And I need you to also know this, that as soon as this weekend's over, I'm off to celebrate Thanksgiving. I am leaving with my whole family. I am smoking brisket on Monday. I'm smoking ribs on Tuesday. We're doing biscuits and gravy on Wednesday just out of respect for people who like biscuits and gravy. On Thursday, I'm smoking my first turkey, and I'm frying my first turkey, and if the Lord allows me to still have a heart that's working on Friday. Hopefully, I'll have some steak. Most of the people that are coming to my family's Thanksgiving, I like. So that's a huge win. I mean, let's, we're at like 85% of the people that are going to be gathered. I actually want to be around. So that's a huge win. Like, my week's going great. I got to be honest with you. Where I'm going has almost no cell phone coverage. So for like seven days, I'm unreachable. I'm just going to be on a four-wheeler shooting my Carhartt commercials and smoking meat. That's what I'm going to be doing. But before I can get there, we got to get through this. Okay? So this is my, this is my swan song. All right? I entitled this message, Don't Stop at the Water. Uh, turn to your neighbor. Look at him. Say, don't stop. Don't stop at the water. Uh, turn to your other neighbor. Say, sorry, I didn't pick you. <laughs> it's not you, it's me, okay? Gotta be honest with you, it's not you, it's me. This message is don't stop. Don't stop at the water. I don't know if you had a superhero that you enjoyed when you were growing up. Uh, there were all kinds of ones that when I would go outside that would sweep over my imagination. I enjoyed Batman because he was the most attainable. All you had to do was become incredibly rich and just have some cool gadgets. I would play Spider-Man, but they don't make Spider-Man costumes in my size. Yeah, they, and we don't want to see that, right? That's a sermon in itself. Uh, and I think like most people, I kind of got hung up on Superman. Now, ladies, you had, you know, Wonder Woman, Storm, Batgirl, Black Widow. I don't know if you went outside and I want to be sensitive to that. But for me, it was Superman, and I have uh, a wicked imagination, folks. It's a dangerous imagination. And I distinctly remember one day standing on my bed and believing that I could fly. And I received that because when we were driving to Florida for a vacation one time, late at night, uh, the oncoming cars would be driving towards me and there would be like a ray of light that went right from my eyes to the headlights of the oncoming traffic. And it made me think that I had like the Christopher Reeve laser beams that came out of my eye. And so one day I'm thinking, maybe I am. Maybe I am Superman. And I stood on the edge of my bed and I jumped off of it to fly. 
and was quickly disappointed <laughs> because I came crashing to the ground. Now, normal people would have done it the opposite. They'd have stood on the ground and they would have jumped into the air to see if they could fly over their bed so that way if they couldn't fly, they would land on a bed. Not me. Uh, I landed flat on the floor and that's because you have a pastor who has faith. That if I, I may be dumb, but I'm faithful in it, okay? I, I wanted it. There was something about their incredible power, their righteous mission, and their commitment to saving humanity that captivated my heart. And if you were a young Jewish boy, and you were hearing about your history, you would have had a great deal of heroes to look up to. I mean, you could have had Elisha and Elijah who all did incredible acts. There's the fan favorite, David, who as a young boy slayed the giant Goliath. The difference is, is their heroes were real people ripped from the pages of history. They weren't uh, DC or Marvel comics. They were as real as Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King, or Mahatma Gandhi. They were real life people. And perhaps the most influential of all of them in the Old Testament would have to be Moses. Now, Moses lived the kind of life that movies are made out of, literally. The Israelites find themselves faced with a famine. There's no food. But they hear that there is food in Egypt, and so they gather themselves together, and they go all the way to Egypt, and there they find favor. And they're fed. And once they found favor, they stopped on their quest to where God would lead them, and they put down roots. Eventually, the Egyptians feared their growing numbers, and they enslaved them. They forced them into slavery and into a brutal life. And for 400 years, they suffered. But their numbers continued to increase which caused the Egyptian fear to increase. And so Pharaoh issued an order, the king of the land, that all boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. And in the midst of that tragedy, a young Israelite woman gives birth to a son, and she keeps him hidden for three months and when she could no longer keep him hidden, she makes a basket and coats it with tar and pitch, and she put, places her son in the basket, and she places the basket among the reeds of the Nile River. And as would happen, Pharaoh, the very one who is issuing these decrees to have all of these babies killed, his daughter goes out into the Nile River to take a bath, and she hears in a distance a baby crying, and she goes and she picks it up. And she named him Moses, for I drew him out of the water. And she brings Moses, this Israelite boy who was to be killed, she brings him into Pharaoh's home and raises him as her own. Here is this Egyptian boy, born a slave, brought into a life of luxury, and joins the ruling class. 
But his mother is paid to take care of him. His real mother, the Israelite, is paid to take care of him. So she teaches him of his Israelite heritage. And one day, Moses is, has left the palace, and he's walking among his people, the Israelites, and he sees an Egyptian mistreating the Israelite, and he takes vengeance. And he kills the Egyptian, and he buries him in the sand, and he looks around to make sure that nobody is looking. The next day, he goes on a similar walk. He leaves the palace. He's walking along the Egyptian sand, and he sees two Israelites, two people that are just like him, fighting amongst themselves. And Moses goes to intervene. And one of the Israelites turns to him and says, are you going to do to me what you did to the Egyptian? Moses has been caught. He thought no one was looking, but word had gotten out. And word eventually reached the ears of Pharaoh, and Moses ran for his life. And for 40 years, he lived away from all of his people. And then God appears to him in a burning bush that would not be consumed. It was on fire, but nothing burned up. And God tells Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver all of the Israelites from their 400 years of captivity. Moses is worried that Pharaoh will not listen to him. He's worried that the Israelites will not believe him. So he asks God, who shall I say is sending me? Look what it says in Exodus chapter 3. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, everybody help me out here, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So Moses goes back to Egypt. And he tells the people of Israel that God has sent him to deliver deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh. And then Moses goes and he stands before Pharaoh and he asks him to let my people go. But Pharaoh wasn't having it. And so Moses started to, ish, to display signs of God's power to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. He had Aaron, his brother, throw his staff on the ground and it became a snake. But that did not change Pharaoh's heart. He, had, uh, he placed his hand or his staff in the water and turned all of the water in the Nile River to blood. And that did not change Pharaoh's heart. And then there was the plagues, the plague of frogs, the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, the plague of livestock, the plague of festering boils, the plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness, and then there was the plague of the firstborn in all of Egypt. 
And at the end of that, Pharaoh comes to the end of himself and he releases the people of Israel from their 400 years of slavery and they begin to leave. But before they leave, the Egyptians turn over most of their possessions to the Israelites. So as the Israelites leave as slaves, they plunder Egypt, walking out with a full bounty. And God goes before these Israelite people experiencing freedom for the very first time as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he begins to lead them to a place that would be called their home. And sometime later, Pharaoh gets up and realizes there is no one to work. He realizes there is no one to tend to their needs. And he comes to the conclusion, we have made a very bad decision. And so Pharaoh summons his massive army. And they take out after the Egyptians to fight them and to re-enslave them. And at about the time that Pharaoh's army descends upon the people of Israel, the Israelites find themselves trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And they grumbled. They turn to Moses and they go, why did you lead us out into the desert? It would be better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So God commanded Moses to go to the edge of the Red Sea and to stretch out his hands over the waters. And suddenly, the waters began to part. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moved from in front of the people where it was leading them to behind the people to give time and it created confusion inside of Pharaoh's army. And then that night, two million people walked through the Red Sea with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left and nothing but dry ground under their feet. When all of the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea, the Egyptians began to pursue them and they started to go into the waters and God told Moses, stretch your hands out upon the water. And so Moses did it again, and the waters closed behind them and on the Egyptians. And the army that was oppressing the people of God received a watery grave. And then the Israelites find themselves traveling through a desert, and they are thirsty, and they find a place to drink, but the water is bitter, and it is no good. And Moses picks up a piece of wood and he throws it into the water and the water becomes perfectly suitable to drink. And then they ran out of food and Moses goes to God and says, the people need food. And God says, I will rain down food from heaven. And he did. And when they ran out of water to drink, Moses struck a rock and water came flying or falling out of the rock to feed over 2 million people and all of their livestock and all of their animals. And then the Amalekite army came to descend upon 
on them, to take them captive. But God told him to hold his hands up. And as long as Moses held his hands up, they would have the advantage in the war. And he held his hands up. And then when his hands were too heavy to hold up, Aaron and Hur grabbed a hold of him on each side and held his hands up. And he held his hands up. And at the end of the day, the long day, the Amalekite army had been defeated and the people of Israel had been saved. Then Moses goes on top of the mountain of God and he receives the Ten Commandments from the finger of God himself. He comes back with the plans for the tabernacle, the prequel to the temple of God, where God would dwell and forgive the sins of the people. Moses spent so much time in the presence of God, this is a literal statement, that his face radiated, it glowed, and it freaked people out, so he had to wear a veil. And when the people were bitten by poisonous snakes, and many of them began to die, Moses went to God. And God said, make a snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. When anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at it, at the bronze snake, they lived. And to this day, you go to a medical office or a veterinary's office, you will see some kind of staff with a snake on it. You can't find a better story or a better, better hero in the Old Testament than Moses. A good Jewish boy would have had a Moses baseball card, or for you younger people, he'd had a Moses NFT. And here, we find ourselves backstage looking at everything that Moses did in the Old Testament, and we peek through the curtain, and we see standing center stage is Jesus. And you can't help but look at the life of Moses and not see the life of Jesus. Both Moses and Jesus were born in adversity in a time where young boys were being slaughtered. Two boys are delivered Both were born at a time when babies were to be killed. Moses left his palace to identify with the people, and Jesus left heaven to identify with all people. Both of them had a supernatural validation of their call to ministry. Moses had the burning bush, and Jesus at his baptism, the clouds parted, and a dove descended, and God said, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Moses was the mediator between God and the Israelite people, and we know that Jesus is the mediator between God and all people, except that Moses' mediation was finite and Jesus' mediation is infinite. Moses brought us the Ten Commandments, but Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Moses brought us the law, but Jesus brought us freedom from the law. Moses built the tabernacle and the ark, but Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the ark. Moses fed the Israelites manna and quail from heaven, but Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Moses parted the Red Sea, but Jesus calmed the storm and walked on water. Moses' face glowed from being in the presence of God, and Jesus' face is the face of God. Moses started the Passover meal, but Jesus fulfilled the Passover meal. Moses delivered the people from the slave of the Egyptians, but Jesus delivered all people 
for all time from being slaves to sin. You can't help but look at Moses and not see Jesus. But Moses didn't take people to the promised land. And Jesus takes anybody who believes in him into the promised land. And when Moses lifted up a snake in the desert and the people were healed, Jesus said this about himself. This is Jesus talking. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Like Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, Jesus saying, one day I will be lifted up. And all who look upon me and believe will be healed. Healed of their sin. Healed of their shame. Healed of their guilt. Protected from hell. And given entrance into the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't just identify with Moses. Jesus identifies with the one who sent Moses. If you're reading the book of John, you start seeing Jesus make this statement, and if you've spent any time in your Bible, or if you've been paying attention to my sermon thus far, you won't be able to escape it. Jesus is talking, and in John chapter 6, he says this, Then Jesus declared, help me out here, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Have you noticed that you can drink all that the world will serve you and eat all that it can supply and still find yourself just as hungry and just as thirsty wanting for more? We can eat and drink all of the sex, money, power, possessions, status, and we are just as hungry as when we started, just as thirsty, just as parched as when we had begun. And Jesus comes to you and me, and he offers a fulfillment that lasts. Uh, then Jesus says this in John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Are you tired? Are you tired of walking in darkness, stubbing your toes on the, devil, on the devil's schemes? Jesus comes to bring us a light that no one can extinguish, a light that brings freedom and a light that brings hope. Then in John chapter 10, he says this, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. There's only one way to God the Father. You can't do enough right things. You can't store up enough money. You can't give enough money away. You can't ring enough bells at Walmart. You can't surround yourself with enough good people. The only way to God is through Jesus. That's why we call him the, the way maker, the sea parter, the water walker, the devil defeater, the sin slayer, the freedom fighter, or the freedom, freedom fighter that our soul has been searching for. And then look what it says in John chapter 11. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is saying, I am life. I am hope. I am the one who makes dead things alive again. In me, death has no power, for Jesus is the resurrector. He makes dead things alive again. He's the life breather. And then in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd 
And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And to be honest, we hear that, and some of us have had bad shepherds. Some of you had parents that weren't there for you. You had spouses that left you, friends that abandoned you. Others of you have had a different kind of bad shepherd. You had shepherds that abused you and took your innocence, and Jesus comes to give you his life so you can have life. He takes your sin so you can be sinless. He takes your punishment so you can go free. His voice is a good voice because he's a good, good shepherd, and you can follow him because where he is going is where you want to be. And then in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you're hearing that and you're tired of searching for truth, you're tired of wondering what to believe, if you're looking for a life that satisfies, if you're looking for a better way, Jesus steps center stage and says, look no further. I am all the life you could ever need. I am all the truth that you could ever want. I am the way that you have been looking for. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus says to the people that are following him, I am the true vine. Jesus comes to you and he comes to me and he says, connect with me. Allow who I am to flow through you. If you want to see a change in your home, in your work, in your school, in your family, if you're tired of the rotten fruit that keeps coming out of your life, he says, connect with me, remain in me, and you will bear fruit that you can't possibly imagine. The craziest thing is both Moses and Jesus had doubters. People who could see all of the mighty acts that Moses did. And those people still had a hard time trusting God when the next obstacle came. These people could see Jesus perform all of these miracles, all of these mighty acts in their presence. And they would still, next time something came up, they would wonder if God was still God, if God was still good, if Jesus really was who he said he was. And if I'm honest, we can be no different. I never get tired of seeing all the life change that happens week in after week out here at the crossing. I see people getting saved every single week. I hear stories of marriages being healed every week. I hear stories of uh, families being salvaged and addictions being broken. We see God move all the time. Too many of us have stood at the banks of the Red Sea, afraid to go forward. Too many of us have stopped at the edge of the water. Too many of us have come to the water's edge, not knowing how to go forward and certain of what is behind us. And we have stopped at the water's edge. And if I could tell you just one thing this weekend, it's this. Don't stop. Don't stop at the water. 
I know what happens is you get to this point where you're progressing in your faith and you come to this moment where you know that it's gonna bring all kinds of life change and you're standing and all you can see in front of you is a Red Sea and all you can see behind you is your sin coming after you, the life you've always known. And if I could tell you just one thing, it would be this, don't stop. Don't stop at the water. Because you have no clue what God will do when you take that step of faith and you walk through the Red Sea of salvation and you find yourself on the other side. I know sometimes you're afraid and you want to turn back and go back to the way that things have always been. But Jesus came down. He defeated my past. He prepared a way for my future. And I didn't walk on dry ground into my salvation. I walked on wet ground, wet with the precious blood of Jesus, and it made all the difference in the world. If I could leave you with just one thing, Crossing Church, wherever you are watching from this weekend, don't stop. Please, 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 don't stop at the edge of the water. Don't stop at the water. We're moving to a time of decision. Here's the part where I woke my wife up. If you are in here today and you have never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't stop at the water. You've seen it every single week when you've walked in here. You've seen other people go to the waters of baptism and you've seen God take a hold of their life and you've been saying, nope, I just don't think it's my time. I just don't think it's me. And I came here to give you this message from him. Don't stop at the water. Don't watch other people walk by on dry land with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left and you stay on the banks of the Red Sea while your enemies descend upon you. I know what it's like to be captive by my sin. I know what it's like to have my sin come after me and I know what it's like to go, you know what, that's all I know. I know what it's like to go, my life would be better back in Egypt. I know what it's like that when the fear of the unknown is greater than the pain of what I do know, I know what it's like to be standing front of promise and hope and to have this inside of me that says, you can't have it, you don't deserve it. It's for other people, it's not for you. And you start going, I'm just going back to Egypt. And I came here to tell you one thing. Don't stop. Don't stop at the water. Take a step. Realize God's provision. Receive his salvation and walk on dry ground. Walk to where he is leading you. Don't stop. Don't stop at the water. If you're a Christian and you know what it's like 
for have to have Jesus come into your life and make a way where there was no way. You know what it's like when he came in and he saved you, delivered you, and rescued you. If you know that that's your testimony, that God did something in you and you chose one day in your life not to stop at the water, would you please issue just a slight whisper with me to all the people in here who don't believe me. They think I'm just talking about my life and they don't know that I'm also talking about your life. Would you back me up with just a little whisper and say to all the people that are here or watching online who've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, would you whisper it with me? Don't stop. Don't stop at the water. Because we could testify all night long about the goodness and the deliverance of God. We could tell you our story and it would make your story not as bad as you thought that your story was. And what we would tell you is he delivered us and he can deliver you. Don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. Not today. Don't you dare stop. Don't you dare stop at the water. And if you know right now that I'm talking to you and you're going, there is no way that this was supposed to happen. But you know it's supposed to happen now. In just a few moments, I'm going to talk to everybody else who just whispered to you, and I'm going to deal with them. And then I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand and pray. And when that happens, if you're in here and you know that it's time for you to start your intimate personal relationship with Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to walk over to the baptistry. There's going to be people who'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you start that journey. To those of you who are Christians, To those of you who have experienced your salvation, I have one thing to tell you. Don't stop. Don't, 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 don't. Don't stop at the water. Too often, we realize that our enemies are upon us and they're descending and our sin wants to enslave us and someone says step into a relationship with Jesus and we walk on dry ground with water to the right and the left and we can't get over it and we find ourselves saved and then God closes up the Red Sea behind us and our sins are washed away and we set up camp in the desert on the other side. And we just set up camp on the other side of our deliverance, knowing full well that that is not what God had designed for his children. They were not meant for the wilderness. They were not meant for the desert. They were meant for the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I know that you want to set up an altar and you want to stay and worship on the banks of the water, but I came to tell you, keep walking. Keep walking and you will see him moving away and turn foul water into sweet water. You keep walking. You keep walking. You'll see him provide the fire to keep you warm at night and the pillar of cloud to keep you cool in the heat of the day. I came to tell you, don't you stop. Don't you, don't you dare stop. You keep walking. Don't you stop at the water because one of these days you're going to find yourself when the Amalekites descend and God will say, you just raise a hallelujah. You just keep your hands lifted high. And when you can't lift them anymore, God will bring brothers and sisters along beside you and he will lift up your hands and God will have the victory. Don't just stop. Don't you dare stop. Not today, not tonight, not in this church, not when it counts, not when it matters. Don't you stop. Don't you dare stop at the water's edge. There's a marriage out here. There's a family that's suffering and you're going, I'm just so happy that I'm saved. I'm telling you, don't you stop. Husbands, 
Your wives need a man that keeps walking. They need somebody who takes his right foot and puts it in front of his left foot. And he keeps walking into all that God has for him. Oh, wives, do you know what your husband needs? He needs a wife who believes that God can move. They have a wife that believes that the next step with God is going to be better than the last step that they had with God. We need parents that don't stop at the banks of the water and keep walking to bring the fullness of Christ into their kids. God says, don't just stop walking. Walk into your workplace and show them what God can do. He says, walk into your family at Thanksgiving and glorify God in all that he's done. He says, don't just stop. Don't you dare stop. Don't you stop at the banks of the river because there is a world that needs one and there is a promised land to come. Don't you stop. Don't you dare stop. I came to tell you one thing and it's what made me wake my wife up at 11.15 on a Monday night. Don't stop at the water. Would you stand with me? I make it sound so easy. But God, you know that each step has been hard. But God, through your faithfulness, each step has been good. And so God, this Thanksgiving, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your raw, unfettered, delivering power that you poured out on us. God, we give thanks that you delivered us when we didn't deserve it. You made a way when we couldn't. God, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts because we stand right before you, not because of anything that we've done, but because of how good you are. And God, it is out of respect for who you are And everything that you've done, give us the strength, Heavenly Father. Give us the strength to keep walking for your glory. In your name I pray, amen.